winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 49th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. I hope this finds you well. This episode is a conversation with Sheena Walker. Brought up in Dervig, Sheena talks about the lives of her mother and father, her various jobs on the island, the social sheen, the social sheen, the social scene of her youth, and so much more. Sheena has so much to say, and says it so brilliantly. All you can hear from me in this episode is the odd kind of splutter and stumble. One of the particular highlights that Sheena offers up in this episode is when she talks about working with David Pittman in his shop. To me, that was very special indeed, especially the film re- reference. I thought that was fantastic. And when you hear Sheena talk about all the jobs she's done, many of which overlap, you get the impression of her staggering work ethic, which both Georgia and I are in absolute awe of. That and her energy and stamina. Due to the current lockdown situation, of course, we recorded our chat over the internet. So when Sheena talks about the dances on the pier in Tobermory and on the Macher at Calgary, I'm filled with longing for those days to come around again soon. These days, whilst working in Edinburgh at the Royal Scottish Academy on the Mound, where she's in charge of private views, visits to artist studios and runs the RSA Friends, Sheena keeps her home in Tubermory. If you're listening to the podcast as it goes out in the days following the 22nd of May 2020, and if you live on Mull, Iona, Ulva or Gometra, we're working on a project called Islands in Film that may be of interest. If you've got time until Sunday at midnight and could film a minute of your life or something that interests you, we'd love to see what you come up with. I'll tell you more about it at the end of the podcast if that's okay. Well, I hope this chat gives you a wee break away from the world and I'll be back at the end of the episode with a heap more havers. And it is now with great pleasure that I hand you over to Sheena Walker. Who are you? Hi, well, I'm Sheena Walker, uh, Sheena Turner, before I got married, and I was um, brought up in Dervig, went to primary school in Dervig, uh, secondary school in Dubermurray, and then on to Oban mm-hmm. for uh, the final year. Gosh. My mother was Katie McInnes from Karshig, and my father, Terry Turner, and my great grandmother was a fail and they were around Crogan and Portfield so that is how we're related to the likes of John Mon who you've Fantastic. interviewed previously yeah. Yeah. and Sandy Sandy Brunton who you've obviously interviewed as well yeah. he's a first cousin of mine cool. So my mother lived in Karshig and was working at the salmon fishing with her father, my grandfather. And my father came up to work, as far as I know, he came up to work in the forestry at Penny Gale. But um, he lost that job and then went also to work at the fishing. So once they were married, after a while, they took over the fishing at at Kayach. Really? And having... I having originally um, put in for the lease of one of the holdings, Benin, where Joe and Neil Caskey live. Yes. And I'm not quite sure whether they put in for that, thinking that they were, because he was from a, ba- a farming background, whether yeah. they were going to farm that or whether that was alongside the fishing. 
But um, these holdings went mostly to ex-servicemen. Yeah. So the first summer they were at the fishing there, they, the two of them lived in the Bothy down there at Kayach. Wow. And I know, and and I guess my older sister, who would have been five at the time, Marianne, she must have been uh, at Karshig with, with our granny. And then I came along and very uh, shortly behind that, my sister Fiona. And so then at that point, they bought the house at the head of Loch Cúin, which is called the Clachan, I think. And we lived there. And at that point, um, my father had to find someone to do work with him because my mother was obviously at home then. Yes. And yeah. it was the first person that went was Willie Mornish. <gasps> they lived in Mornish schoolhouse and he worked with them for quite a, quite a number of years. Right. So during that time when we were in down at, Besides Sea View there, he was working in the winter at various building projects and and um, other things. But that at that point, that was when they bought the shop right. in Derby. And they bought that from Johnny McIntyre, as far as I know. Who was Johnny and, McIntyre? Well, well he, he had that wee shop and he had a van that went round. Um, but but uh, I haven't. I don't really remember him. I remember the shop being full of wee drawers where all these wee shelves are. Where when when Mr. Pittman had it, aye. they they were all uh, drawers originally, and and my father pulled them all out and aye. and you know um, pulled it all to pieces and redid it. Aye. But uh, no, they had the they had the shop for a, for five or five or six years, I think. Um, that was mostly, of course, my mother and. Amy McFarlane that worked in that. Ah, fantastic! Yeah. But no, we were we were very busy um, all through primary school. All the kids in the village were. We had a sort of annual annual events that we um, hmm. we went to in the spring. It kind of started with the drama festival. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And we'd we'd be practicing for for weeks for the drama festival. Who um, then, who wrote the plays for that? Would you remember at all? Well, the, the teacher wrote them, and it was uh, Bren, Brenda Goblaith, um oh. when she came along that we really got into things like the drama festival and the mod, and then we'd Brilliant. be practicing for the mod for weeks. Yeah. But then, of course, the highlight of the summer was the. Calgary Sports. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what was so special about Calgary Sports? Oh, it was great. We'd be practicing for weeks at playtime for the Calgary Sports. So you had um, flat races and then you had the uh, egg and spoon sack race, uh, three-legged race. Yep. So that needed a lot of um, a lot of training for that. I think it was set up for the Queen's coronation. I'm saying that. I don't know if that's right or not. But it was run by Mr. Gillett, who lived at Drumgear. It was on the last Saturday in June with a low tide so that they could mark out the running courses on the sand. Yeah. Um, and it was beautifully done, very well done. It was all beautifully marked out and we flags to mark all the different lanes. And then, of course, the long jump and high jump were up on the on the macher, and oh, yeah. the, the long jump pit was dug out and resanded, you know, uh, very carefully. Yeah. And it this Calgary sports were only for Alva Ferry and Derrick School. Right, I didn't know that. I didn't, right. And the the catering was was alternated each year between the the Derrick uh, ladies and the Alva Ferry ladies. Right. Maybe, maybe the guild. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But um, the prize money, as far as I can remember, the prize money at the beginning was something like if you got first prize, it was threepence. <laughs> um, but then 
all the different scores were taken down carefully throughout the day and aggregated so that in your age category, if you were the winner in your age category, you got a medal. And these were donated by Mrs. Howard from Ulva, as far as I remember. Goodness me. But no, it was the Calgary sports were fantastic, and they ran for a long time. And it was it was really I was really sad when when they kind of gave up. But yeah. I know that Joan has tried to revive them a number of times. We managed once, and, yeah. We did it one yeah, year. Yeah, and, and, and remember on the fortieth anniversary, we had a big, a great big sports on the sand with barbecues and mm. all sorts. But uh, no, it's a difficult thing to keep going, and she did very well to get it revived. After Calgary Sports, then of course it was the holidays. Yeah. And I, both of us, my sisters, well, all of us were all dispatched to different re- relations. I think probably because my mother was too busy in the shop. Mm-hmm. But I was always sent to my grandfather, my auntie Anne at Camus. Mm-hmm. And they were they were fishing there. And that was a busy, a busy fishing station. And I got sent down by various modes of transport, but I do remember that one one of the ways I was sent was with um, Big Alistair, who was Neil Neil McLean's father. Right. He had the contract for keeping the um, graveyards tidy. Mm-hmm. So I remember being stuck in the front of the van between Big Alistair and I think Mr. Dara from Salon oh and the, taking all the way to down to Finnefort with them. But I, I think... I think um, I think I must have only been about five or something when I went with them. But I would stay down there for two or three weeks in the summer. Oh, lovely. um, So what was that like as a fishing station? How did it it feel? I was good. um, Well, you you obviously had to walk in, you know, the couple of miles over the bog or come in by boat. But it was quite busy because they had two or three nets. So there was one or two people working there with my grandfather in the early days. And Mm. also, of course, the Iona community had their camp there. Right. And... What we called the Borstal Boys came, mm-hmm. and of course the camp leaders. So it was actually quite quite a busy place, but um, there was no, uh, you know, water or electricity or anything there. So it was just, you know, a peat fire and water from a well. And mm-hmm. and a, but they had a great big garden. My auntie Anne and my grandfather had a big garden, and uh, you know there was plenty to do. And then later on, of course, uh, once my grandfather got a bit older, it was different relations. My uncle Tom and then Bertie that ran that fishing. Right. But no, they, that was the summer, and then we get back to school, and then we'd be on into. October and it would be the the fancy dress was the next thing. Ah. So you'd have to be thinking up your fancy dress and that was a great, great uh, fancy dress party. It was always really good. And then, of course, the absolute highlight of the year was guising. Ah, um, why was that so yeah. special? Because I... Oh, we loved it, absolutely loved it. I did anyway. <laughs> um, so when we were really wee, of course, you had to hope for a, a dry night because your false face was just made of um, yeah. Paper mache, yeah. and if it was raining, it just fell to bits. <laughs> so uh, we were delighted when the, the the sort of plasticky masks came on, but of course they made your face sweat. Yes, yeah. But uh, no, we'd go round the village and knock on all the doors. And in these days, of course, there was no there was no trick or treating, and you didn't you didn't actually do a turn or anything the main thing was that you were the householder had to guess who you were ah right that that was the object of the visit really um and then laterally they started asking us for jokes and songs and of course i was rubbish at that so 
I don't remember ever doing a joke or a song, huh. but I think nowadays the kids do do we do we jokes and songs. They do, them. yeah. We've still got a good scene in uh, around Croig and Penmore. We um, there's yeah. a lovely scene of the kids going amongst the houses. It's just oh, yeah. it's magic. I loved it, and of course, if you if you stayed out a bit later, if you weren't quite finished your run around the village, you might um, bump into the adult geyser. <laughs> And that was actually quite scary because they yeah. were very kind of they were a bit kind of uh, a wee bit more edgy. Yeah. But uh, are there any costumes you remember that stick out at all? Well, we didn't really have costumes. It was just an old coat you'd put on and a hat and a pair of gloves and maybe your wellies, and that was that was all we went mm. in. the The adult ones were maybe a little bit more elaborate, right enough, because mostly the men were women. I remember that, <laughs> but uh, yeah. It was uh, it was good, and then after guising, of course, then there was the bonfire, oh. and we had to work really hard getting all the tires and stuff together. <laughs> Environmentally the, friendly. The, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, for a while, it was up at the top of the Monobake, the right. bonfire. It was in various different places, I think, just depending. But the the Macrones always did a lot of work on on that. The boy, the boys in the village did a lot of work getting the stuff together for the bonfire. That was good. And then, then of course, into Christmas. And although it wasn't a big thing, there was there was a couple of different Christmas parties. There was the village Christmas party with Santa, which um, every single child got a present, and. Santa was um, dressed up in this old Santa outfit that was still in the hall to quite quite recently. I may well have worn it. Uh, I'm not going to say in which capacity, I but I don't know uh, if it's the same one. But it was awful. I was a giant was pair a of awful, curtains. Well, it was very the the beard particularly was awful, but <laughs> it used to it used to intrigue me that Santa was quite often wearing my father's wellies, and I didn't quite know how that happened. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> but um, yeah, we had the hall party, and then from time to time there were other parties. There was quite often a party in Queenish House when we were quite wee, Gosh. and and that was a great one. Um, and there was also parties in Calgary Castle, but I can't remember whether they were Christmas parties or whether they were they were firework parties. So. Mm-hmm. I remember oh, my lovely. father lighting fireworks outside, but I don't remember whether they were um, whether that was at Christmas time or whether it was uh, around the time of the uh, of the bonfire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then it was then it was into New Year, and of course New Year wasn't really for kids, so I don't remember anything about New Year when we were in school. So then then moved on to secondary, and by that time, my mother and father had sold the shop to David Pittman. Ah, right. Uh, I then got a job working for David on a Saturday, and I worked for him on Saturdays and holidays right for about five or six years. And what was the experience of working with Mr Pittman oh, like? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, Saturdays were, were were really busy because that was the day that he took the orders around called uh, Croig uh, and Calgary. Right. And people would be phoning in with their orders and we, Kate and I would be making up the orders and, and then he would take off with them in the afternoon. Right. But uh, it was hilarious. He was great. He used to introduce me to all these books and and yeah. ask me what I was reading and it, it, was, it was really was very inspirational. And and on a Tuesday, he did the Toloisk orders, and that was it. that was really funny as well because there was 
different people lived over in Trulovsk. That, yeah. that there was uh, two brothers, um, the McKinnons, I think it was Hugh and Donald. Right. And they got an order every every week mm-hmm. and they got separate orders because as far as I understand, they didn't speak to each other. Ah. <laughs> they got this they got exactly the same thing every single week. And Hugh would get four tins of kitty cat, uh, four tins of milk, a cough bottle, and a loaf, <laughs> and nothing much else. Gosh. And whereas Donald, if it was Donald was the other one, he would get, I think it was eight loaves, eight bits of cheese, and eight tins of kitty cat, and some milk. And so he obviously ate cheese pieces a lot. Aye. But... I don't. Somebody else must have been feeding them because that was all they got. That was the same thing. The same thing every week for 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 years. I think one of the cats um, had been uh, jumping houses as well, by the sound of it as well. I mean, well, unless they had their own cat, they were both yeah. in the same house. Oh, but uh, uh, they they must have had their own cats. Yeah. <laughs> but no, working in Pitmans was great, and of course, latterly he was he was showing the films because in, yeah. in the early days it was the the travelling. A Highlands and Islands film thing that came round it once a month. Yeah. But then, then David Pittman was showing the the films once a week. Right. And that was all always a great talking talking. Are point. there any films that stick out from that period at all that you thought, oh wow? Well, we from da- from David's, uh, it was Soylent Green oh, that sticks out. People, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because what he did was the day after the film, we got a whole lot of frozen broccoli. Oh no! no. We took it out of the packaging and we repacked it with Soylent Green on the label. But nobody really, nobody really got the joke. Oh, it's a shame. (laughs) But no, it was funny, and of course, it was hilarious with the tourists. You know, if they would come and they'd obviously brought any food, they oh, they got into real trouble. Yeah, and he joined Spar, and this was going to be the next best thing, and got all this cheap. Cheaper, cheaper um, food came into the shop with spa, but of course nobody really liked the spa stuff, especially yeah. the things like flour. They would not take the spa flour, and they had to have Great Scots self-raising flour, huh. Sunray Tips tea, Lurpak, and New Zealand butter, and wouldn't put their lip on any of the spa products. Wow! <laughs> so I don't know how long that lasted, but that was uh, everybody was very set in their ways, particularly when it came to baking. I think. Yeah. But no, they they were good days, really good days. <laughs> All through the secondary school, we would be enjoying the dances that were on. Yes, Um, yeah. I think going back, as far as I can remember, my father might have been on the hall committee for a while because I know that we had the job of putting the slipperine on the floor. Oh, yes, (laughs) yeah, in the tub with the tip on it. Yeah. yeah. And also making the posters for the dances Along with the Balfour Pauls, because a scrap Balfour Paul was on was the on the hall committee as well. Yeah. And if it was a, a especially big band, we called it a grand dance on the posters. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, there were some good good bands came. You know, the Wick Scottish Dance Band oh, and aye. Jim Johnson, and of course 
the ones that were closer to home, like Fonte and yeah, and Fergie and all them. And it was and the dances were were good. And of course, there was no bar. It was just um, mm-hmm. you know the men would go outside for a, a joke, um, yeah. you know, and then they then there would be tea and stuff in the middle of the the dance. And of course, people got up to sing uh, as well. There was always an MC. Yeah. And they would lead the dance, uh, you know, shout, announce the dances, and then they would invite people up to sing. And I remember people like jo- uh, Johnny Nan and oh, wow. something, and my mother, and that would be asked up to sing through. What would your mum sing? Do you remember? Oh, she she sang all the time, Alistair. She was um, she sang even when you didn't want her to. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Ah. <laughs> and were they English songs or Gaelic songs or both? Uh, no, she sang in English, but and, and in fact, and. I think Johnny usually sang in English as well. Well, I don't remember him singing Gaelic, but he may well have done. Mm-hmm. But he was a great singer too. There was and and Babette, of course, she oh, sometimes wow. sang. They yeah. they uh, they loved music. The uh, Bob Do and his wife Babette, and they and they would think nothing of walking to Benmore to a dance. Lovely. They they were amazing. Yeah, um, she's a tiny fact, little lady. One of, yeah. the, one of the um, earliest memories I've got of dances. And I, I don't even know if this memory is correct, but I remember my father had a Bedford van with seats in the back of it, and he used to take a, you know a few people over to dances, not very often, but now and again. And I remember I think we were put into the back of the van this night because we wouldn't, my mother wouldn't have a babysitter, and we were taken to a dance on the pier along with a number of other people from the village. One of whom was Mary Clark, who worked in the Bilhroy. Yeah. And Mary was wearing this beautiful petrol blue velvet sheath dress, absolutely stunning, and red nail varnish. And I can remember as clear as anything. And I was absolutely devastated because a number of years later, I was working in the Bilhroy and I went to the cleaning cupboard to get a duster, and there was the beautiful blue dress cut up for dusters. Oh, man. Devastated. Yeah. But no, so the that was the dance on the pier. That was after the regatta. Of course the the pubs shut at ten o'clock, yes, so there was yeah. plenty of time to yeah. to still go to dances. And so the, the in dance the on summer, the pier itself, was that actually on the pier outside? On on the pier, yeah, yeah. It That's lovely. Uh, it was really good. It was a Saturday night on Oh, the we should pier. try and do really that good. again. That'd be fantastic. Uh, well, they can't do it now for health and safety, I think, and insurance oh. and God knows what else. But no, it's a while since there's been a dance in the pier. Oh, man. But yeah, in the summer, the dances were a concert and dance. And uh, so the, they were always really busy, the concerts. And, and loads of tourists would go to that, of course. And they were sustained by just anybody that was around that could sing or play and of course, then Jimmy Milne and his wife Jeanette arrived, Aye. and that was amazing because they could really sing and play well. And and then you got various bands like Nahokanich would come. Oh, well, we fantastic! Thought, oh, we thought they were amazing. They were just a, a, a real, um, yeah, you know, delight to us youngsters. Their legacy still great. exists. It's a strong. Oh, thing. absolutely! Aye. They were brilliant. So that was all the dances and. Yeah, we were kept were kept busy with them, and, and David Pittman and and Kate loved going to the dances as well, and and 
uh, yeah, they, they, we always had a good laugh discussing what had happened at the dance the night before when we came in and the next morning. Are there any events that stick out particularly that anyone falling in the water or anything like that at all? Or? I can't. I can't think of that, but there was often, you know, fights at the dances as well. And, and then l- later on, my mother and father, if they weren't at the dance, they would ask us, you know, was there any fights? That was the first thing they'd be wanting to hear. <laughs> oh, jings. So then all through that time, my father was always up to various projects and he decided to build a swimming pool in the garden. Right. Um, I didn't know this. We're, I, yeah. At the on the hill there, or Aye, uh-huh. oh. so well, he, he was always very inventive. In fact, when he first met my mother, and they were staying at uh, Karshig, the house at Karshig is right beside the waterfall. Yeah, and he got a book on how to build a water wheel, and he built a water wheel that powered a battery. Fantastic! St- you know, st- a battery, and then that gave them a wee bit of electric light in the house at night. Yeah, not quite sure how it worked after the battery, but uh, that w- that worked for a few years. That's brilliant. Anyway, and then anyway, he decided to build the swimming pool. So basically, he just got a digger and dug out the hole in the in the lawn, and then he got a big sheet of blue rubber from a swimming pool place and unfolded that into the hole, and then put the water in it and. It was about three feet deep, I think, all over. And it did get quite warm in the the summer, but it also got incredibly dirty. (laughs) And it was, it had filters and you were supposed to skim it and everything, but it was, it was pretty grotty. (laughs) Um, Because things would just float into it, you know. But loads of the kids from the village came up, you know, to to swim in it. And quite a lot of people learned to swim there, I think. Gosh, that's brilliant. I know I was never a very keen swimmer, um, but in fact, I'm not a keen swimmer yet. Right. But no, that was one of his projects. And then he, he was—he always had something on the go because in the winter, of course, he wouldn't be fishing. And latterly, he wasn't really doing the building work anymore. But right. he, he, one winter or, or maybe more than one winter, him and Tom Tinto were working at the sawmill at Queenish. Oh, wow. And then another time he was polishing stones. What was that for? Was that for sale? Aye, it was making uh, pendants and rings and stuff. I I don't know whether they sold very much, but he was busy. We know we're always going away on walks to gather stones and and going to the marble quarry in Iona to bring bring back the marble that he would be polishing up. And then, of course, he was he put the solar panels in. That was another project. And then after we got fed up, after we got fed up with swimming, or once we were a bit older, he decided to turn the swimming pool into a fish farm. So he he brought home the salmon and he stripped them and had all the buckets and basins and everything in the garage. And by this time we had moved up to the house, you know, beside the old graveyard. Yeah. So it had the big garage and uh, he had all the buckets and everything in there. And then eventually, once the fish became bigger, they went into the swimming pool. Gosh. Which had a couple of accidents because one time a toad got stuck in the water pipe and, of course, no... Yeah, fresh water um, was going 
no oxygen got in and they were all de- dead and my mother was in tears. Of course, yeah. It was a it was a disaster, but I think a couple of times it did work because I know he, he sold some on to Hugh Goldie who had, um, you know, fished somebody else, you know, and he sold the wee smolts on to, to him. But um, eventually he just filled in the swimming pool because it was just too much like yeah. hard work. Yeah. But the fishing was... I mean, I we all worked at the fishing a bit, you know, helped him off and on. He had various different people work with him. Um, after Willie Mornish, there was um, Neil, of course, Neil uh, McLean was mm-hmm. there a good number of years. Barry Gleason, oh, right. Al, yeah, Alec McDougall, he was a, he was always working with my father a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Gus Stewart. Ah, yes, Gus has talked about um, uh, this a bit. Yeah. And then Neil's sons, of course, Dodds, and I don't know whether the other ones worked with him or not, but there was always, I can't remember who else there was, but maybe other people than that. But my mother would go, of course, to the fishing if nobody else was around, because she knew more about it than him, really. <laughs> ah. But uh, when we were on holiday, of course, we would, uh, one of uh, one or other of us would go as well. And it was okay, absolutely okay, as long as it was a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. But then after I'd been at Pittman's for a while, by this time I had left school and I was only 16 when I left school. So yeah. although I was quite keen to go to college or whatever, I didn't know what to do really. And that summer I met Pete Walker. Oh, right. Pete the Potter at one of these famous dances. <laughs> and so after that, I didn't want to leave the island at all. Lovely. And so I then moved on to working in the Western Isles. Who were the owners at that point? Oh, it was Derek and Cathy McAdam. And it was great fun, really great fun. I worked in the dining room, so I worked seven till seven till. 12 and then back on again at 6 till 9.30 or 10, whatever. And there was always a rush to get down to the missionaries, to get everybody out to get down to the missionaries before the missionaries would close because it was closed at 10 o'clock in these days and we would fire everybody out of the dining room so that we could get down there. And, of course, we lived in, so that was always good fun as well. Yeah. But there was some amazing parties after the Mishnish closed at 10. Rhoda McLeod was, was really good at organising parties after after hours and she would persuade any musicians that were up, you know, playing with her father to come along to these parties. Fantastic. I know. In fact, the first kind of real date that I went on with Pete was to join them on a bus to Calgary. And it, Alistair McLeod must have been driving the buses at the time because he had access to a, to a bus and a whole crowd of them came over in this bus and picked me up at the house and went to Calgary. And as far as I remember, there was like an eight-piece dance band playing on the Macher at Calgary. Oh, yeah, dancer, that's amazing. That was really good fun. And that happened a few times. And I can also remember being out on Calve one night, same thing, a big dance band. I remember a saxophone really? player. Yeah. And if we went if we went away over these places, we were down the lighthouse path quite often for yeah. parties. Or on, on boats. There were uh, often parties on boats beside the pier. 
or of course lock-ins in the Mishnish were, were a good one as well. Aye. But we we often went into the back bar with um, Bobby when he was playing. Rhoda and Ian McLean were great friends. Ian McLean from the uh, Cameron's brother. All right. So they loved singing. So there was um, there was always a good sing song went on after hours in the Mishnish or at any of these parties. And Cathy uh, Ann McPhee was working in the Mishnish as well. And she was a great Gaelic singer, so we, we got lots of singing when she was there. Fantastic. I know, it was good. So then at that point, Pete had started the, well, Pete and his friend Murray had started the pottery behind the Mishnish mm-hmm. in the wee uh, ducat that's in there. So I I was kind of working at that as well in the afternoons when I wasn't in the Western. Were you, were you making things as well, or are you? Well, I did. I did actually. One day, I made three pots, and I sold two of them the very first day that I put them in the shop. Nice. And I never made it any more until oh. I started night classes down here in Edinburgh just recently. Ah, fantastic! <laughs> so I've got back into it again. Yeah. But no, these uh, the days in the Western were good, and the McAdams had these various weekends to try and bolster business yeah. in the off season, and they had they had the chess, not chess weekend, uh, chess weekends, and wow, but and but anyway, they had Kale, golf weekends, of course, and they right. had Kaylee weekends, and they were really very good fun. And there was a a fiddler called Jimmy Brown uh-huh. used to come from Bridge of Ern along with some of the other musicians and he was really great funny and he would come he would come straight off the the lorry that he'd been working on he would arrive on a Friday night with this orange jumper on that he wore all the time but he was an amazing fiddler and he would just he could drink everybody else under the table but the music never faltered he was wow. absolutely perfect even Gosh. though he could hardly stand but these were these weekends were good fun, and I can remember one night we'd been up all night. But I think this was at a car club dance or something, because a car club dinner dance or something maybe in the western. And at six o'clock in the morning, we were all still carrying on partying, and Derek <laughs> Derek was dressed in a navy blue velvet dinner suit and bow tie, and Kathy had on a long black dress, and at at about ten o'clock in the morning. A new guest arrived off the first ferry. Oh, goodness sake. And then they must have been wondering what on earth they'd come <laughs> to with the hosts were so formally dressed at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh, that's a fine <laughs> you know, night they, out. <laughs> yeah, they, so they were good times. Well, then uh, Pete and I were married Mm. and Kerry and Rory came along. Mm. And the pottery, of course, by this time was up at the, up where it is now at Ballscape. So that was a busy time as well, working. I was still working in various different captain's table, the Mishnish, Carnaburg, all the different ones, whoever was needing needing work and working in the pottery during the day and... uh, yeah, it was good that, but I didn't. I didn't ever do any more throw, throwing. I just did all the 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 glazing and firing the kiln and yeah. all that kind of thing. And um, so, were you living in Bridalbin Street at that point? We were in Bridalbin Street. That's right. We got right. that house 
yeah. before we were married, did it up, uh, extended it, Aye. and it was a nice wee house that had a great garden because it had all the wonderful topsoil that had been brought in on the boats um, right. for ballast, and we had a good vegetable garden in there for a few years. Yeah. But then when the wee ones were getting a wee bit bigger, we moved round to Call Cottage where Pete still is. Right. But at that time, well, then the marriage split up yeah. and I, we all, we, Kerry and Rory and I ended up back in Dervig, of course. Yeah. And then I went to work at the fishing. By that time, of course, there was so few fish. Yes. That yeah. He couldn't really afford to pay anybody, you know, pay a man to work with them. So basically for a few summers, the last few summers, I, I was working at that. How do you um, how do you remember that? Was it was it quite a, a sad time or was it okay? Well, it was it was okay. Um, do you mean sad for what? For for the the, the, fish. the fish passing. Aye. Um, well, it was just I think he'd come to the realization that the fish were you know well everybody had to come to the realization that the fish just weren't there. Yeah. When I when I was younger, there were years when he did catch a lot of fish, yeah. you know, I can remember a few years, but but of course there would be other years where exactly the opposite was true. And my mother used to keep saying that it was just a phase and that it would pass, yeah. but it, it didn't it didn't pass, obviously, and there's not the fish the way that there used to be. When I was there, it was, I mean, I was just going there and following his instructions every day and it, it was okay when it, when the weather was was warm, but it was it was a bit more of a trial when it was yeah. blowing a gale or pouring with rain. Yeah, but it it was good because Kerry and Rory were at home with Granny, and I was able to go down and and just um, keep keep it going until till um, the lease had had run out for him. Yeah, and then Neil I think took it over then after right. him. That was okay. And then, um, what did I do after that? Oh, I, by that time, just at the end of when I was finishing off with the fishing, I'd, Mary Norton had arrived in Tubermory. And yes. she she was um, working on, on getting the funds together to do up the school into the arts centre. I was working in Garnets one day, and Garnets was where the Chinese restaurant is now. Mm-hmm. And she came in. And asked me if I if I wanted to be involved in doing the, the do it up you know getting funded together and doing the the centre. So I didn't have anything else to do, so I just said, "I, I, no bother. I'll I'll come along, do that." And uh, I mean, I knew nothing about art, but yeah. So we, I worked part time at first before the the building got start got opened. Yes. And then once once it was opened, it was I was kind of more full time, but. Of course, at that point, Mary Norton sort of fle- left and went off to North US yes. and more or less left Gordon and I to run the centre. And, uh, yeah, so we just did as best as we could. And, of course, Gordon ran all the music very well and still mm. does to this yes, day. Yeah. But at first we were a bit lost with the exhibition space and the gallery and we yeah. weren't too sure what to do. And the first exhibition that we put on was a craft exhibition, I think, because I can remember Charlie Hogg and I uh, nailing four-inch nails into the wall to hold things up on the wall. Fantastic, gosh. 
But uh, no, that was a huge learning curve for yeah. me. It was busy. It kept really busy. I think I kind of thought on it as a, you know, as a family business, and I, I did yes. a lot, put a lot of work into. But I loved yeah. it, and I, I yeah. loved all the music, of course, because I love all traditional music and any kind of music I love. Yeah, and it was great meeting all the the musicians. It was who really, were the the bands that stood, or who were the artists or bands that stood oh, out for the early days. Oh, the, there was loads of people. Dun- Duncan Chisholm, of course, was my oh, big favourite. He's great. And he, yes, he's really good. And in fact, um, when he was in Wolfstone, I think it was Jim Spence that had organised for Wolfstone to come to Dervig. Right. And they were really one of the first of that kind of bands that had ever been down. That was the first band I, I ever saw live. I thought they were really? phenomenal. Yeah, they were amazing. I can remember that they were. They were supposed to start at eight o'clock or something like that in the hall. And there actually wasn't an awful lot of people that had turned up to see them, but we were all waiting in the hall and they were up in the pub and they were never appearing. There was no sign of them coming down. So eventually, Joan and whoever all else it was that was there, we all just went up to the pub. And I remember we were sitting outside on the grass drinking with them and then eventually they decided they would go come, we'd all go down to the hall and start the concert. But it was amazing. <laughs> I, that sound, I can still remember it. Yeah. So, yes, Duncan Chisholm and, and Ivan Reaver used to come round as a duo. And oh, yeah. There was all sorts of, of people came um, that Gordon knew. In fact, he made me a post, he made me a, a thing from a Christmas once with all the posters put together nice. of all the different bands. It was really good. Oh. Um, but then after about 10 years of doing that. Gosh, 10 I, years, right. Yeah, I had, by that time I had met Ian, my yeah. partner now, and yeah. Kerry and Rory were both at university in uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh. And so I decided that I would also go and try for a, working for a few years in Edinburgh. But the few years just keep seem to keep going on and on and I've never got back home. I love yet. Edinburgh. It's a great city. It's a good choice. Yeah. It is. It is. I'm get I'm I'm getting more used to it now. Oh, it's I particularly love Leith at the moment. I think Leith is just so inspirational. It's brilliant. Yes, it is. And there's loads going on there. That's right. There's a lot of fun to be had in Leith. It's uh yeah, there's a it's just it's so beautiful. It's so old, but yet there's so many things going on inside. So how did you meet yeah. Ian, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I met him at the Maud. Uh, he was singing with a Gaelic choir in in Edinburgh, and they were very short of singers, so <laughs> they'd asked if the Mull Choir could loan them some singers. Right. So myself and Janet and Fiona Jappy and one or two others went and joined their choir just just on the day of the Maud. You know, we didn't rehearse or anything. We just went along <laughs> the day of the Maud supplemented them and that was how I met him and then oh, that was brilliant. that was a kind of a long distance relationship for many years yeah I was going to say just still singing with the choir I sing with Lothian choir Gaelic choir now but that was one thing yes. I enjoyed a lot when I was in Mull was singing with the Aye. with the Mull Gaelic choir yeah no they can be very special things I, I find the competitive side of things a bit like oh, but I, yeah they can yeah. be a lovely thing um, I was going to ask about your role in Antoper because um the organisation as it's changed and moved over the years, it's seen a lot of staff, but it was just the two of you for many years, wasn't it? Absolutely, yes, it was. It was just Gordon and I, really, and and the board, of course, um, helped us out. Well, we just did sort of a bit of everything. Yeah. And we had some, I think we had some volunteers that came in, but I do remember that 
making scones in the morning and then running through and answering emails and coming through serving teas, running back through answering the phone. Yeah. But of course, we always had somebody in the cafe um, and uh, doing the teas and the, the lunches and things, coffees. Mm-hmm. But uh, then we had, we had different people helping out. We had, of course, your Georgia was there for a while. Yes, yeah. And Jackie Malloy was there for a while. And, uh, yeah, so there was, diff- there was different people helping. But, yeah, it's changed a lot. But I think it's changed. I think it has changed for the better. But um, there's so many new people on Mull now that, you know, yeah, yeah it has to cater to a, to a range of different audiences. It's a changing dynamic of, of people on the island all yeah. the time. Yeah, no two ways about Indeed. it. Yeah. That's it. Well, if it's okay to ask a little bit about your dad, then where did your dad come from originally? So he came from East Lothian, ah, right. um, and his 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 folk were farmers and shepherds, really. I think more or were working on farms around around the Lothians, but he'd been working, you know, in the wood, cutting wood, in all various different places and driving lorries and things. As I say, once he got to Mull, he he started fishing and then that was that was that did your mum talk much about growing up at Carsick at all what it was like uh, the experience of that because it's such a small community I know and there were so many of them I mean there was eight of them and they had a lodger the teacher whoever yeah. was teaching in the school was lodged with them and in fact one of the one of the teachers was Mary Morris and she she lodged with them for a while gosh and one one teacher even had her mother there, um, so it was a tiny wee house with only two wee bedrooms yeah. and upstairs. But of course, the older members of the family would be away before the younger members came mm. on the scene. I think, but no, they. Sh- I mean, they all talk so fondly of Carshigan, and uh, but she stayed a bit longer because she didn't go to secondary school like some of my other aunties did and so she ended up you know working at the fishing and so she was there when they were doing the I know where I'm going film gosh yeah and in fact my grandfather was a was the stand-in for Roger Livesey really yeah in the in the boat scenes because Roger Livesey, well, Roger Livesey never came to Mull, as you know. No, it was but, yeah. but my father, my grandfather went to London to the film studios. But I'm not exactly sure why he had to do that, but he must have been filmed in the studio just in case. But the the main bit of the film, when you when they're supposed to be in the Corrivrechken, some of these shots are, are of him. And then there's another shot when the boat comes in against the pier at Karshik. That's him. Um, in the boat, then mm-hmm. I think the yeah. So they used him a bit for for the boat and just uh, just for his knowledge of round about the the sea and that. But mm-hmm. my mother was a driver. She was she was driving for them back and forward to to Bermory and places like that. In mm-hmm. fact, the money that my grandfather got from the film company with that, he bought a launch. Um, nice. A Catherine. Yeah, she was called the Catherine, and we used her for many years. In fact, she came up to Kayach and we used her for the lobsters. Um, when we were, you know, if I had a few lobster creels out, it was that boat that got used for that. Gosh. Yeah. 
one of the things about Dervig was that there were so many characters there, you know, especially when, when you go back to when we were in primary. Yeah. That really there was, the school was really quite small. Yeah. There wasn't really that many of us around, but there was all these characters that lived in the in the village. Donald McKechnie, he was the, the road sweeper, and he kept the roads all around the village. He kept the drains clear and all that kind of thing. And then there was Willie Beaton. He had been in the Lovett Scouts with Scrap Balfour Paul. Right. And he he lived in the village. We thought these people were absolutely ancient, but they maybe weren't that old. <laughs> there was Mag- Maggie McDougall, another old spinster that lived in the village. What was she and, like? Oh, she, oh, she was she was funny too, but they they did kind of keep themselves to themselves some of the time. But working in the shop was great because you knew them all from working in the shop. Yeah. And then, of course, Nelly had the 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 post office and shop. Yeah, she was a character. She was beautiful, Nelly. She was a lovely looking woman. She was a lovely, gentle woman too. Yeah, Kirsty Bongan. Oh, Kirsty Bongan. Yeah, how could I forget? And her mother and her brother brother Nelly. Yes, they were in the middle of the village. They were great. And uh, Huey and Maggie down at at Cooen, yeah, there was there was all these lovely old people. Um, I suppose people nowadays will be thinking the same about <laughs> about us. <laughs> I forget I'm the older. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. That's very, very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, I didn't really check anybody. I didn't name check anybody there from the like the kids in the village and stuff Aye. like that. Maybe I should have done that. So who were your close pals when you were in at school? Well, I guess the, the main people when we were in primary were um, the Macrones. So there was Marion, Oki, uh, Jesse and Ulam Macron, the McDonald's at Seaview, John McDonald in my class at school, mm-hmm. um, Effie McGilvery, uh, Isabel Patterson, and later on, Jenny Stewart from Achnadrish. They were, they were really the main ones when we were in primary. We were actually quite a small bunch. Yeah. There weren't an awful lot of families that came from away during the time that I was in primary, but the one family that did come, of course, were the Heskeths. Ah, now that's worth talking and, about for a moment, if that's okay, yeah. Yeah. And Who were the Heskeths? The, the Heskeths from the Mall Little Theatre, and Richard, uh, Nick and James, and they were all in school, and uh, right through secondary as well. Mm-hmm. As far as I remember, they were, I think maybe James went away to school, but they were, Richard and, and Nick were in Tubermory. They were great fun as well. And there was one other family came and stayed in the, the house beside the shop, um, the Flemings, and they had Ed, Edward and, Al, and Amanda Fleming. But other than that, there really weren't any other families that moved in during that time. So it was just we were just really quite a small bunch yeah. in the school in the in the years that I was in in Dervig. When I went to school at first, it was an uh, an older teacher called Miss Cowan that was there. But then, of course, Brenda Gilbraith came, and she was she was there throughout the rest of my time in in right. the primary. Yeah. Gosh, talking to the Heskis sent down little theatre. Did that figure in your life much as a child? I'd gone a couple of times to the theatre when the Heskeths were there right enough, but it was after the Heskeths left really more that, that I started, you know, enjoying the theatre more and, and taking more of an interest in it and go and going along to productions and things. And, of course, in, in the summer, all the actors would be in the Belcroy every night. Yes, so of course. We did, we did get to know them. Yeah. 
But uh, I know, where would we be without the Bella Croy? It's been amazing, really, all the years. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that it's come back now to being a bit more. Yeah. yeah. They're really great folk that have it. I'm no two about it, but uh, yeah. well. well, thank you so much. That was great. And uh, my fondest regards to Ian as well. Um, will you let me hear it before you put it out? or? Of course, yes. If you want to, you have no problems at all. And just in case it's awful. <laughs> oh, no, no, it'll be perfect. Don't worry about that at all. So. Magic. Okay, right. We'll okay, Elsa. Thank Thanks. You so much. Cheerio. Thank you so much, Sheena. It was an absolute delight to spend time with you recording this chat. I look forward to catching up with you again when all of this is all done and dusted. Sheena and I talked about other things too, which we didn't catch in the recording, including our memories of the New Year's dances that Joan used to organise. And we also talked briefly about our grandchildren, Fergus and Murray. I think there's so much more to catch up on. I'm sure that we'll be chatting together again before too long. As I mentioned earlier, we're working on a project called Islands in Film this week, and it's a project about connections and how we're living our lives on these islands at this particular moment in time. So, if you've got something to share, and you live on Mull, Iona, Alva or Gometra and are happy to send it to us as a video, please do so at whatwedointhewinter at gmail.com. Or if it's a large file, please transfer it to our Gmail address using wetransfer.com. wetransfer.com. That's not for transferring we, but it's for transferring... It's, you know what I mean. We'll be editing it together next week and then having an online sharing at the start of June. Some of the footage that's come in already has been fantastic and I can't wait to share the project with you. A lot of it's very affecting and a lot of it's very simple and beautiful. It's great. Now, as these podcasts take quite a long time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of green tea through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. And thank you so much to all of you that, that have contributed and, and continue to contribute. I really, really appreciate it. On that note, thank you to Ida. Sorry I missed you in the last one. Lo siento, I am so sorry. And to the anonymous donor who may well be a relation, thank you very much. Your support is very, very much appreciated indeed. But genuinely, don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened than you didn't. And if you want to sponsor any of the episodes to come as a business, please feel free to drop me a line. Also, to help me grow the podcast, and if you could do this, this is brilliant. Someone did it last week and I saw one more star, so that's great. Thank you. If you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be really grateful. It just helps kind of build the presence of the podcast. And thank you as well to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you, especially at this time. So thank you so much. As ever, our webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Well, I hope this podcast gave you a wee hour away from everything and can you, wherever you may be, I hope that you and the, those that you love are well and you're taking care of yourselves. And I'll be back soon with episode 50. Who'd have thunk it? Episode 50 is rather special and a bit different. It's a very sincere conversation. I look forward to sharing it with you then. Anyway, thanks for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More and thing. Shenakate.